Section 3 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 11, American Founders, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Benjamin Franklin, Part 1. 1706 to 1790. Diplomacy. At the commencement of the Revolutionary War, the most prominent and influential man in the colonies was perhaps Benjamin Franklin, then sixty-nine years of age. Certainly it cannot be doubted that he was one of the most illustrious founders of the American Republic. Among the great statesmen of the period, his fame is second only to that of Washington. I will not dwell on his early life, since that part of his history is better known than that of any other of our great men, from the charming autobiography which he began to write but never cared to finish. He was born in Boston, January 17, 1706, the youngest but two of seventeen children. His father was a narrow-minded English Puritan, but respectable and conscientious, a tallow chandler by trade, and his ancestors for several generations had been blacksmiths in the little village of Ecton in Northamptonshire, England. He was a precocious boy, not over-promising from a moral or religious point of view, but inordinately fond of reading such books as were accessible, especially those of a skeptical character. He had no sympathy with the theological doctrines then in vogue in his native town. At eight years of age he was sent to a grammar school, and at ten he was taken from it to assist his father in soap-boiling, but, showing a repugnance to this sort of business, he was apprenticed to his brother James at the age of twelve, to learn the art or trade of a printer. At fifteen we find him writing anonymously for his brother's newspaper which had just been started an article which gave offence to the provincial government, and led to a quarrel with his brother, who, it seems, was harsh and tyrannical. Boston at this time was a flourishing town of probably about ten thousand or twelve thousand people, governed practically by the Calvinistic ministers, and composed chiefly of merchants, fishermen, and ship-carpenters, yet all tolerably versed in the rudiments of education and in theological speculations. The young Benjamin, having no liking for the opinions, manners, and customs of this straight-laced town, or for his cold and overbearing brother, concluded in his seventeenth year to run away from his apprenticeship. He found himself in a few days in New York, without money or friends or employment. The printer's trade was not so flourishing in the Dutch capital as in the Yankee one he had left, and he wandered on to Philadelphia, the largest town in the colonies, whose inhabitants were chiefly Quakers thrifty, prosperous, tolerant, and kind-hearted. Fortunately, there were several printing presses in this settlement, and after a while, through the kindness of a stranger, who took an interest in him and pitied his forlorn condition, wandering up and down Market Street, poorly dressed, and with a half-penny roll in his hand, or who was attracted by his bright and honest face, frank manners, and expressive utterances, Franklin got work with small wages. His industry and ability soon enabled him to make a better appearance, and attract friends by his uncommon social qualities. It does not appear that Franklin was particularly frugal as a young man. He spent his money lavishly on convivial entertainments, of which he was the life, among his humble companions, a favorite not only with them, but with all the girls whose acquaintance he made. So remarkable was he for wit, good nature, and intelligence, that at the age of eighteen he attracted the notice of the governor of the province, who promised to set him up in business, and encouraged him to go to England to purchase types and a printing press. But before he sailed, having earned money enough to buy a fine suit of clothes and watch, he visited his old home and paraded his success with indiscreet ostentation, 
much to the disgust of his brother to whom he had been apprenticed. On the young man's return to Philadelphia, the governor, Sir William Keith, gave him letters to some influential people in England, with promises of pecuniary aid, which, however, he never kept, so that when Franklin arrived in London he found himself without money or friends. But he was not discouraged. He soon found employment as a printer and retrieved his fortunes, leading a gay life and spending his money as fast as he earned it, at theatres and in social enjoyments with boon companions of doubtful respectability. Disgusted with London, or disappointed in his expectations, he returned to Philadelphia in 1726 as a mercantile clerk for a Mr. Durham, who shortly after died, and Franklin resumed his old employment with his former employer, Keimer, the printer. On his long voyage home he had had time for reflection, and resolved to turn over a new leaf and become more frugal and respectable. He would not give up his social pleasures, but would stick to his business and employ his leisure time in profitable reading. This, Mr. Parton calls his regeneration. Others might view it as the completion of sowing his wild oats. He certainly made himself very useful to the old visionary Keimer, who printed banknotes for New Jersey by making improvements on the copper plate, but he soon left this employment and set up for himself in partnership with another young man. The young printers started fairly and hired the lower part of a house in Market Street, most of which they sublet. Their first job brought them but five shillings. Soon after they were employed to print a voluminous history of the Quakers at a very small profit, but the work was so well done that it led to a great increase of business. The idea then occurred to Franklin to print a newspaper, there being but one in the colony, and that miserably dull. His old employer, Keimer, hearing of his purpose accidentally, stole the march on him, and started a newspaper on his own account, but was soon obliged to sell out to Franklin and Meredith, not being able to manage the undertaking. The Pennsylvania Gazette proved a great success, and was remarkable for its brilliant and original articles, which brought the editor, then but twenty-three years old, into immediate notice. He had become frugal and industrious, but had not as yet renounced his hilarious habits, which could scarcely be called moral for about this time a son was born to him of a woman whose name was never publicly known. This son was educated by Franklin, and became in later years the royal governor of New Jersey. Franklin was unfortunate in his business partner, who fell into drinking habits, so that he was obliged to dissolve the partnership. In connection with his printing office he opened a small stationer's shop and sold blanks, paper, ink, and peddler's wares. His business increased so much that he took an apprentice and hired a journeyman from London. He now gave up fishing and shooting and convivial habits and devoted himself to money-making, but not exclusively since at this time he organized a club of twelve members called the Junto, a sort of debating and reading society. This club contrived to purchase about fifty books which were lent round and formed the nucleus of a circulating library which grew into the famous Franklin Library, one of the prominent institutions of Philadelphia. In 1730, at the age of 24, he married Deborah Reed, a pretty, kind-hearted, and frugal woman with whom he lived happily for 44 years. She was a true helpmeet who stitched his pamphlets, folded his newspapers, waited on customers at the shop, and nursed and tended his illegitimate child. After his marriage, Franklin gave up what bad habits he had acquired, though he never lost his enjoyment of society. He was what used to be called a good liver, and took but little exercise, thus laying the foundation for gout, a disease which tormented him in the decline of his life. 
he also somewhat amended his religious creed and avowed his belief in a superintending providence and his own moral accountability to god discharging conscientiously the duties to be logically deduced from these beliefs submission to the divine will and kindly acts to his neighbors he was benevolent sincere and just in his dealings abhorring deceit flattery falsehood injustice and all dishonesty from this time franklin rapidly gained in public esteem for his integrity his sagacity and his unrivalled good sense his humor wit and conversational ability caused his society to be universally sought he was a good judge of books for his infant library and he took a great interest in everything connected with education he was the life of his literary club and made reading fashionable among the quakers who composed the leading citizens of the town a people tolerant but narrow frugal but appreciative of good things to eat kind-hearted but not remarkable for generosity except to the poor of their own denomination law-abiding but not progressive modest and unassuming but conscious and conceited as most self-educated people are it is a wonder that a self-educated man like franklin was so broad and liberal in all his views an impersonation of good nature and catholicity ever open to new convictions and respectful of opinions he did not share provoking mirth and jollity yet never disturbing the placidity of a social gathering by irritating sarcasm franklin's newspaper gave him prodigious influence both social and political in the infancy of journalism it was universally admitted to be the best in the country its circulation rapidly increased and it was well managed financially james parton tells us that franklin originated the modern system of business advertising his essays or articles as we now call them had great point vivacity and wit and soon became famous they thus prepared the way for his almanac originally titled richard saunders and selling for five pence the sayings of poor richard in this little publication combine more wisdom and good sense in a brief compass than any other book published in america during the eighteenth century it reached the firesides of almost every hamlet in the colonies the new england divines thought them deficient in spirituality rather worldly in their form and useful only in helping people to get on in their daily pursuits but the eighteenth century was not a spiritual age in comparison with the age which preceded it either in europe or america the acute and exhaustive treatises of the seventeenth century on god on fixed fate free will foreknowledge absolute on the foundation of morals on consciousness as a guide in metaphysical speculation had lost much of their prestige if jonathan edwards immortal deductions may be considered an exception prosperity and wars and adventures had made men material and political themes had more charm than theological discussion pascal had given place to hobbes and voltaire and hooker to paley in such a state of society poor richard inculcating thrift and economy in english as plain and lucid as that of cobbett half a century later had an immense popularity for twenty-five years it annually made its way into nearly every household in the land such a proverbial philosophy as honesty is the best policy necessity never made a good bargain fish and visitors smell in three days god heals and the doctors take the fees keep your eyes open before marriage and half shut afterwards to bear other people's afflictions every one has courage enough and to spare savored of a blended irony and cynicism exceedingly attractive to men of the world and wise old women even in new england parishes whatever calvinistic ministers might say of the higher life the sale of the almanac was greater than that of the pilgrim's progress and the wealth of franklin stood out in marked contrast with the poverty of bunyan a century before 
the business enterprise of the gifted publisher at this time was a most noticeable thing he began to import books from england and to print anything that had money in it from political tracts to popular poems from the sermons of wesley to the essays of cicero he made no mistakes as to the popular taste he became rich because he was sagacious and an oracle because he was rich as well as because he was wise everybody asked his advice and his replies were alike courteous and witty although sometimes ironical friend franklin said a noted quaker lawyer thou knowest everything canst thou tell me how i am to preserve my small beer in the back yard for i find that my neighbors are tapping it for me put a barrel of madeira beside it replied the sage in seventeen thirty six franklin was elected clerk of the general assembly a position which brought more business than honor or emolument it secured his acquaintance with prominent men many of whom became his friends for it was one of his gifts to win hearts it also made him acquainted with public affairs its chief advantage however was that it gave him the public printing his appointment in seventeen thirty seven as postmaster in philadelphia served much the same purposes with increase of business the result of industry and good work and of influence based on character he was when but thirty years old one of the most prominent citizens of philadelphia his success as a business man was settled he had the best printing jobs in pennsylvania maryland new jersey and delaware no one could compete with him successfully he inspired confidence while he enlarged his friendships to which he was never indifferent whatever he touched turned to gold his almanac was a mine of wealth the sermons he printed and the school books he manufactured sold equally well with constantly increasing prosperity he kept a level head and lived with simplicity over his shop most businessmen lived over their shops in both england and america at that period he got up early in the morning worked nine or ten hours a day spent his evenings in reading and study and went to bed at ten finding time to keep up his latin and to acquire french spanish and italian to make social visits and play chess of which game he was extravagantly fond till he was eighty years old his income from business and investments was not far from ten thousand dollars a year a large sum in those days when there was not a millionaire in the whole country except perhaps among the virginia planters franklin was not ambitious to acquire a large fortune he only desired a competency on which he might withdraw to the pursuit of higher ends than printing books he had the profound conviction that great attainments in science or literature required easy and independent circumstances it is indeed possible for genius to surmount any obstacles but how few men have reached fame as philosophers or historians or even poets without leisure and freedom from pecuniary cares i cannot recall a great history that has been written by a poor man in any age or country unless he had a pension or office of some kind involving duties more or less nominal which gave him both leisure and his daily bread like hume as a librarian in edinburgh or neander as a professor in berlin franklin after about twenty years of assiduous business and fortunate investments was able to retire on an income of about four thousand dollars a year which in those times was a comfortable independence anywhere he retired with the universal respect of the community both as a businessman and a man of culture thus far his career was not extraordinary not differing much from that of thousands of others in the mercantile history of this country or any other country by industry sagacity and thrift he had simply surmounted the necessity of work and had so improved his leisure hours by reading and study as to be on an intellectual quality with anybody in the most populous and wealthy city in the country had he died before seventeen forty seven his name probably would not have descended to our times 
he would have had only a local reputation as a philanthropical intelligent and successful businessman a printer by trade who could both write and talk well but was not able to make a better speech on a public occasion than many others who had no pretension to fame but a new career was opened to franklin with the attainment of leisure and independence the career of a scientific investigator the subject which most interested him was electricity just then exciting great interest in europe in seventeen forty six he attended in boston a lecture on electricity by dr spence of scotland which induced him to make experiments himself the result of which was to demonstrate to his mind the identity of the electrical current with lightning what the new mysterious power was of course he could not tell nor could any one else all he knew was that sparks under certain conditions were emitted from clothing furs amber jet glass sealing wax and other substances when excited by friction and that the power thus producing the electric sparks would repel and attract that amber when rubbed possesses the property of attracting and repelling light bodies was known to thales and pliny and subsequent philosophers discovered that other substances also were capable of electrical excitation in process of time otto gerke added to these simple discoveries that of electric light still further established by isaac newton with his glass globe a dutch philosopher at leyden having observed that excited electrics soon lost their electricity in the open air especially when the air was full of moisture conceived the idea that the electricity of bodies might be retained by surrounding them with bodies which did not conduct it and in seventeen forty five the leyden jar was invented which led to the knowledge that the force of electricity could be extended through an indefinite circuit the french savants conveyed the electric current through a circuit of twelve thousand feet it belonged to franklin however to raise the knowledge of electricity to the dignity of a science by a series of experiments extending from seventeen forty seven to seventeen sixty he established the fact that electricity is not created by friction but merely collected from its state of diffusion through other matter to which it has been attracted he showed further that all the phenomena produced by electricity had their counterparts in lightning as it was obvious that thunder-clouds contained an immense quantity of the electrical element he devised a means to draw it from the clouds by rods erected on elevated buildings as this was not sufficiently demonstrative he succeeded at length in drawing the lightning from the clouds by means of a kite and silken string so as to ignite spirits and other combustible substances by an electric spark similar to those from a laden jar to utilize his discovery of the identity of lightning with electricity he erected lightning rods to protect buildings that is to convey the lightning from the overhanging clouds through the conductors to the ground the importance of these lightning rods was doubtless exaggerated it is now thought by high scientific authorities that tall trees around a house are safer conductors in a thunderstorm than metallic rods but his invention was universally prized most highly for more than one hundred years and his various further experiments and researches raised his fame as a philosopher throughout Europe. His house was a museum of electrical apparatus, and he became the foremost electrician in the world. His essays on the subject were collected and printed abroad, and translated into several languages, and among the scientists and philosophers of Europe he was the best-known American of his time. While at home both Harvard and Yale colleges conferred on this self-educated printer's apprentice the degree of Master of Arts the inquiring mind of franklin did not rest with experiments in the heavens as a wealthy and independent citizen of philadelphia he interested himself in all matters of public improvement he founded a philosophical society to spread useful knowledge of all kinds 
he laid the foundation of what is now the university of pennsylvania and secured a charter from george the second but he had little sympathy with the teachings of dead languages attaching much more importance to the knowledge of french and spanish than of latin and greek we see in all his public improvements the utilitarian spirit which has marked the genius of this country but a spirit directed to philanthropic channels hence he secured funds to build a hospital which has grown into one of the largest in the united states he established the first fire company in philadelphia as well as the first fire insurance company he induced the citizens of philadelphia to pave and sweep their streets which were almost impassable in rainy weather he reorganized the night watch of the town he improved the street lighting he was the trustee of a society to aid german immigrants he started a volunteer military organization for defense of the state against the indians he made a new fertilizer for the use of farmers he invented the open franklin stove to save heat and remedy the intolerable smoky chimneys which the large flues of the time made very common he introduced into pennsylvania the culture of the vine in short he was always on the alert to improve the material condition of the people nor did he neglect their intellectual improvement inciting them to the formation of debating societies and founding libraries his intent however was avowedly utilitarian to supply the vulgar wants of mankind which he placed above any form of spiritual philosophy inculcating always the worldly expediency of good character and the poor economy of vice herein he agreed with macaulay's idea of progress as brought out in his essay on lord bacon he never soared beyond this theory in his views of life and duty the puritanic idea of spiritual loftiness he never reached and never appreciated End of section three.